When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a slave to the ideas that you cherish. You are also a slave to the ideas that grip those around you. And right now, more and more people are adopting ideas that crush human thriving. Jordan Peterson, my guest today, has become the canary in the coal mine for the rise of authoritarian ideals. The question is, given how wrong any of us can be, is the attempted erasure of Jordan Peterson justified or the tip of a very sinister spear? Here to talk about it is the man himself. Look how much I love my son. He doesn't even have a penis anymore. Those women online displaying themselves, they're not human. You're a fool if you think that's human. And Jews, you know, they have IQs that are probably 15 points higher than the typical. So they're Whoa. radically overrepresented. Over There's no reason to assume at all that the religious enterprise can't degenerate into totalitarian psychopathy, for that matter. It does all the time. Is that controversial? <laughs> yes. All right, there is a doomsday clock that we use to track how close we are to nuclear annihilation. The closer to midnight, mm -hmm. theoretically, the higher the risk. If we had a doomsday clock for how close we are to a totalitarian takeover of the West, how close to midnight would it be? It depends on what we decide to do. It, the opportunities there at, for a, a pervasive totalitarian state the likes of which we can hardly imagine, instituted with a rapidity we can hardly conceive of. That's there. It's right there in front of us. So that's the eye of Sauron, by the way. Why? Well, if you dispense with God, you create a Tower of Babel, and that was what was represented in the Lord of the Rings as the Tower of Sauron, technological tower. And what was on the top of it? A big eye. That could see everything. Mm. Exactly. So. If you don't have, this is one way of thinking about it. If you forgo your relationship with the omniscient, that's a good way of thinking about it. You'll create a technology that replicates that for you, except there'll be nothing about it that will be your friend and it will watch everything you do. No matter how hard you try to make yourself invisible, let's say with the ring of power. Okay, so I want to understand what what is the proclivity in the human soul that leads us back to this? And let me give you a right. little bit of context and then uh, go into it. So mm -hmm. you introduced me to Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. I actually read the Gulag Archipelago. That sent me on a terrifying journey of reading about every totalitarian state that I could get oh, my yeah. hands on. Oh, yeah. Uh, ended up really scaring me about how humans can break bad in a way yeah. that I felt I was looking around and seeing people trying to gobble up power, uh, top-down authority, a sense of, I know what's right, and therefore you should do what I say. And that even mm -hmm. when it comes in the package of, oh, I'm going to save you, like Mao's mm -hmm. China. It's usually when the package it comes in. Yeah. And, and yet kills a hundred plus million people. So is it only darkness in the human soul? Is it only pride or is there it's the something spirit of else? Pride. It's the eternal spirit of pride allied with deceit and resentment and arrogant arrogance. That's the spirit that Milton characterized in Paradise Lost. Is it, is it only human? No. 
Clearly not. It it's exists. not only human. What do you mean? Well, it'll be there long after you are. It's immortal in a way. That's a way of thinking about it. But it feels like it would propagate only through the human mind. What do you mean only? That there is no other option. I mean, we could get into AI, but I want to segment this yeah. out. The, the reason I want to tease this apart is I believe that people are possessed by ideas that mm -hmm. if they, they- allow themselves to become possessed by ideas. They invite them in, yeah. Even better. People yeah. invite in ideas. Those ideas yeah. are going to govern the quality of their life. And then as enough of us aggregate around good or bad ideas, the mm -hmm. quality of our lives get better mm -hmm. or worse. That's the it war of principalities. So that's, what, that's right. That's right. What I want people to understand is uh, Solzhenitsyn's idea of the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have this temptation towards totalitarianism, born mm -hmm. of pride. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially smart people. So how do we avoid it? Fear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what you, is God you, then? The antithesis of the of the spirit of totalitarian pride. Can I simplify that? So, well, one, imagine this. Okay, sure, sure. Imagine this. Imagine that. Here's a form of hell. Um, Auschwitz guard, enjoying his job. Mm. Okay, now, I think it's it's fair to say that your experience. Exposing yourself to such things has convinced you that there's such a thing as evil. Okay. Whatever is farthest in the opposite direction, that's God. What is that? Well, that's not a simple thing to say. I mean, God is ineffable. God is the ineffable spirit that unites all. That's a good way of thinking about it. So what does that mean? Well, it means an endless number of things, right? Many of which can't be formulated in words, much of which is directly experienced, and embodied, um, imagined, felt, motivated, all of that, not just words. It's certainly not something that can be encapsulated in a, in a set of declarative statements, which is partly what the West is confused about. We think that belief in God is adherence to a statable description of God or a creed. That's not what it is. That's, that's a very small fragment of what it is. Just as our verbal knowledge is a small fragment of our totality. Can I give you what I think you're saying in my language yeah, and tell sure. me if I'm getting correct? Okay. Uh, everyone's going to be familiar with the idea of the madness of crowds. And there is mm -hmm. something terrifying. If you've ever been around a group that goes from a normal group and they snap over mm -hmm. into fighting or whatever, you mm -hmm. feel- Short-term mob. Yeah. You feel a spirit mm -hmm. overcome them sure. where they are linked and it changes something in the way that they are processing the inputs from their environment. Definitely. It changes their perceptual frame. Yes. Perfect. It changes their emotions. It changes what they see. It changes what they're aiming at, even unconsciously. It's no different than, the, in some ways, it's no different than the spirit that unites a crowd when it leaps to, the, to its feet spontaneously after a particularly brilliant goal, right? That's also a form of possession, although much more positive form of possession, because that's a celebration of the ability to hit the mark, which is the opposite of sin right? Sin means to miss the mark. There's three separate derivations of the word sin that come from archery. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's what people are doing in a stadium is they're allowing themselves to be possessed by the spirit that hits the target brilliantly, right? All together, collectively. That, it's a form of worship. 
what's interesting in that, uh, so let's put two pins in things. So one, the hell is the exact opposite. It's when the crowd goes mad, it breaks bad, it kills, it smashes, it breaks. And then God is the exact opposite of that. It's expansive, joyful, uplifting, and thriving. And unifying, right? Both so, can so be it unifying, has that, though. It has that, yes, it's the proper unity. That's another way. These are definitions, right? They're not statements. They're not statements. They're not descriptive statements about God. They're definitions. They're definitions. That's a very, very different thing. So imagine that there is a spirit that properly unifies. That's, that's the monotheistic God. That's the God of Abraham. What is that? Well, you know... <laughs> Who can say? No one can say. We can tell stories about it. And of course, the biblical stories are stories about that. That's exactly what they are. But the fastest way in for modern people, I would say, is the route you took. If you don't believe in good, well, try investigating evil and see what you make of that. And then start to understand what that means for you and see what that does to you. It's one of the things I realized because I started studying malevolence a very long time ago now it's it's 50 years for me it's a long time and i certainly became convinced that in some ways there was nothing more real than malevolence now there are arguable contenders pain for example is a contender but if malevolence is an undeniable reality and there's a price to be paid for denying that by the way because you turn the nazi catastrophe into just a matter of opinion, right? If you don't believe in something like the ultimate reality of evil, it's just, well, you know, the Nazis went about things a slightly different way. Who's to say what's right or wrong? And while well, the opposite of that, there's an opposite of that, right? It's, what it, it's wherever you go if you travel as far away from enjoying Auschwitz as you can possibly go. And people might say, well, no one enjoyed Auschwitz. It's like, really? What was the sign over Auschwitz? The joke. Work will make you free. People joked. You tell me they didn't, didn't enjoy it, Slayer. If you think that people didn't enjoy Auschwitz, you know nothing about human beings and nothing about yourself. Mm. If you think you couldn't have enjoyed it, you know nothing about yourself. And that's terrifying and should be. And that it can lead you. You see, that leads you because it gives you something solid to stand on, something terrible. Terrible and solid, but nonetheless, something motivating. Because maybe you decide that you don't want to go to hell, so to speak. And maybe you don't want to bring everyone you love along with you. Maybe you don't even want to bring everyone you hate along with you. That's a good realization. Better to redeem than to damn. You changed my life with a simple idea. And that simple idea was that um, I could find myself as the guard in Auschwitz and not as the person hiding um, Anne Frank in my attic. Oh, yeah, oh, five of them. Yeah, exactly. And that scared me you saw because, that in COVID. yes. I mean, God, the thing, it just terrified me in Toronto. It was something remarkable to behold. All these butter won't melt in your mouth, hyper moral Canadians, you know, secure in the fact that they're nothing, for example, like the warmongering Americans to the South delighting in the fact that they could turn their neighbors over to the state with a phone call, willing to wear those goddamned masks for the rest of their life just to have the privilege of being a state informant. Brutal. Brutal. Awful. 
So I look at that and I see myself and I say, okay, the line between which way I go on that runs through my heart. This is where I get obsessed with the idea of, okay, I'm going to be possessed by ideas. Which ideas do I want to invite in? That's why Christ says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It takes root and grows inside you, like all ideas. Ideas are alive. Richard Dawkins figured this out, although he didn't take it to its logical conclusion. A living idea is a meme. All ideas are alive. And what do I mean by that? Well, they're instantiated in your nervous system. Like, how are they not alive? How do they not have a perspective? How do they not have an aim, a set of motivations? Um, the desire to communicate. Even Nietzsche, Nietzsche said, every drive attempts to philosophize in its own spirit. Nietzsche knew these things. And then you do, you, you, you incorporate, you take in, you eat. Sometimes things you shouldn't. That's the eternal sin of mankind, to incorporate even the forbidden fruit. What's the forbidden fruit? Knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? You don't get to make the moral rules. And that's where Nietzsche went wrong. We don't, we can't create our own values. We have to abide by the intrinsic order of the cosmos. And Richard Dawkins knew this too. He wrote a paper stating that biological organisms had to be a microcosm of the environment in which they evolved. It's like, okay, Dr. Dawkins, how far are you willing to take that? A human being's a personality. Does that mean that the cosmos is a personality? Is it something you have a relationship with? That's how we're adapted. So he can take that wherever, however he wants. The, the avatar of the spirit of enlightenment rationality, right? That, that's, that's a snake that's now devoured its own tail. So that's why the enlightenment is coming to an end. Yes, we are for sure going to talk about that. Before we get to that, though, I, I how really- How did you notice that I said that? Uh, you gave a speech. I, I, I listened to a lot of your stuff because you helped me think through complicated ideas. Uh, I'm a big believer in that um, by speaking, you're speaking so that you can understand, not necessarily so you can be understood. So I seek mm -hmm. people that I see have the bravery to actually think out loud and process through. Also, for anybody watching, they will probably have heard me talk about this before, and I was telling you this before we started rolling. I was very confused when you went from the internet's dad, you got very sick, and you came back as like the internet's theologian, mm -hmm. and I could not figure out what that change was. Mm -hmm. uh, but as somebody who I had seen be a very careful thinker, I thought, okay, what if there was something here that I'm just not understanding yet? Let me try to map it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you and I see this the same way. I don't know is the honest answer, and I hope we figure that out today. But I know that you have clarity of thought and there's internal consistency. And so that means that there's probably something very useful because you know what you're aiming towards. And this is the anchor we have to address before we can move on. We're away on. from. Yes, yes. Which to your point about... Uh, sin is missing the mark, but mm -hmm. that implies that there is, because I would say sin is hitting the wrong mark mm -hmm. if that's I had another to way of looking push at it. it. Well, that's, that's a deeper form of sin. Because that's right. what I think is happening right now. I really yeah. think you're the canary in the coal mine. What's happening to you with them trying to strip your license, even though I do hate the way you tweet, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I listened to that whole episode where your friends were like, Jordan, please stop. I was literally in my house like, Jordan, please. Anyway, you get you should have the have right to, have to be a fully come out correct. You should be a fully fledged human being. You should not have to answer to us, even though as people who um, have gotten so much value out of the way that you think through problems, that's what we're responding to. 
Anyway, so the thing we have to get to is I think sin is hitting the wrong mark. I think people are hitting that mark in spades. Mm -hmm. I think you've become the That's lightning why we rod worship of that. Pride. That's why we worship pride. Well, pride I have is a always take been, on pride that. has always been regarded as the ultimate sin. Before people, we before we go down that path, let me let me string this whole idea together. Uh, you're the canary in the coal mine because why would that be? I wonder. Uh, because you won't shut up about <laughs> things that people who believe. Because I take the stance that totalitarians actually are trying to do good. Some of them aren't, but I think that that makes it too easy to push them away. Assume that they are just possessed by the wrong idea, and so they believe I know what's best. I, I legitimately know what's best for humanity. Yeah, but that's the problem. I get it. Bear I with me. Know. And you are- Who's the I that knows just out of curiosity? Uh, in that statement? Mm -hmm. That's I'm the saying, question. I, I'm saying I know how wrong that can go. Mm -hmm. Those people are saying they, they think they have identified the social structure that will lead to a utopia. They identify their I with the spirit of totalitarianism that has possessed them. They haven't gotten that far. They don't. They know may that. not even be smart enough to get that far, which is a whole nother thesis I have about the complexity of ideas, which I think is a big part of what causes this problem, mm -hmm. is people cannot think through these incredibly complicated ideas. So they need bumper stickers. You give them a bumper sticker. They need parables. Ooh, you're trying to make it positive again. People will take a bumper sticker long before they will take a well, parable. Well, bumper Parables stickers, are yes, way that's more true. complicated. Yes, yes, that's, you know what a, you know what slogan means. Yes, uh, no, I don't know what it means. It's from it's from the Welsh, Slugerm. It means battle cry of the dead. Why of the dead? Because slogans are dead words, and they're like as in they're dead brandished wood? by they're brandished by the army of the dead that would rather drag the living into the pit than prevail, than allow the living to prevail. It's battle cry of the dead. It's the army of the dead speaking through the mouths of people that use slogans. Okay, can I, I'm going to translate that. Yeah. Uh, you said earlier that- well, You know how Solzhenitsyn talked about people who were possessed by an ideology, right? And they, their words, their words had no personal relationship to them. They were, they were merely mimicking an ideology. All the communists said exactly the same thing. There's nothing alive about that if everyone is saying exactly the same thing. Well, because, and this is, I suppose, where the left has something- has has something accurate perverted. There's a diversity and a vitality and originality in in living speech that's not there in the, in the land of cliche and slogan. That's why you can't listen to people. Like when I listen to ideologues talk, it's just buzzing. I can't even hear it. My mind goes elsewhere instantly. There's nothing about it that's compelling. There's nothing that's gripping. Because or they're not testing the idea against feedback. There's multiple reasons for, because they're, because the speech is an indication that while they're speaking, they're not treading the golden path. What's the golden path? It's the path that grips attention and is inspiring. Okay. I have to say, you can give me space. I need to say this. That's, that's fine. All right. So, uh, I'm not trying to speak elusively. There's, no, no, no. There's... I know. I know. You and I just use such different language. And I think it will be very useful for people to hear the same thing said in like a Rosetta Stone yes, way. Yes, definitely. Okay. So I've heard you talk about this a lot. When you go out and do your talks, part of what makes them so captivating mm -hmm. is you are actually taking a living idea that you were trying to explore, golden mm -hmm. path. Yeah. It's not rigid dogma. 
It is an idea you want to find the truth of. And so you go out in front of a crowd to assess whether they're taking it in, what kind of it's like quest. silence, perfect. Mm -hmm. And so that idea is living in as much as it is not rigid, it is not fossilized. You want it's not it to be tested. It's not dogmatic, right? That's right. It's that's why it's not dead. This, it's not already formulated. It's not a corpse. It's something alive that's happening right then and there, right, right. And that's something that only spontaneous speech can manage. Even even books suffer from the lack of that. Now, books have their utility. They. In a book, when you write a book, when you read a book, you can deeply investigate an idea, but it does risk a kind of death, the death of the words on the page, because they're not as finely attuned to the demands of the situation, the specific situation as a spontaneous speech can be when it's at its highest, because it's of the moment. That notion that, you know, um, there's a, that's the third person of the Trinity, right? That spirit that possesses you when you speak in an inspired manner. That's a, and that's a symbolic representation of the living spirit of, of exploration in relationship to the highest goal. That's really what it is. And so, you know, you might say, well, what, what do you have to be aiming at if, if your goal is to speak in that manner? And the answer is, well, you have to be doing your best for the best in you and other people. That has to be your aim. And then you have to speak truth insofar as you're capable and that will do the trick and there's no difference between that and the paraclete that christ left in the gospels behind behind after his departure it's a reflection of the idea of the holy spirit it's the baptismal spirit it's the spirit of god that moves upon the waters at the beginning of time it's uh it's the creative manifestation of the structure that extracts habitable order from chaos it's all of those things in its living form that's why it's inspiring why else would it be inspiring? Why else would it attract and gleam, right? Or have motive force, right? I mean, the, and, and you can think of it instinctually if you want. It speaks biologically. Those are words that speak to the deepest core of your being, materially for that matter, because everything stacks up. If everything's unified in the highest place, everything stacks up. And, and that is the case, right? That to me is the final test of an idea's validity, if it will stack and if it will point you to yeah, things that right. are true. Mm -hmm. That's this... technically true, by the way, because one of, so the reason that you have five senses is so that your orientation occurs as a consequence of things that are stacked. Mm. When all five senses report the same thing, you have a reasonable assurance that what you're seeing corresponds sufficiently to reality so you won't perish. Right now, we, that isn't enough because then I'll take the evidence of my senses and contrast it with the evidence of yours from your slightly different perspective. And then we'll do that collectively. We're doing a lot of stacking in order to filter the infinite sufficiently so that we can model it well enough to move forward. A lot of stacking. And that is, there's a technical branch of psychometrics, uh, construct theory, that, that, psychologists have developed to help distinguish between concepts that are real from concepts that aren't like the phrenological concepts for example that people used to use to map the hypothetical functions of the brain there was something in that idea but they weren't real concepts how do you know if a concept is real well you can measure it using multiple different instruments at different times and in different places and get the same report it's something like that mm. right right right
You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. This is why the case against you scares me. This is people with dead ideas 
uh, enslaving others with bumper stickers, slogans mm-hmm. that they can hold on to that makes them feel morally virtuous. Mm-hmm. But they're they not- simple. They're simple and morally virtuous. Yes, it's a viciously tempting combination. Right? Correct. One idea explains everything. Plus, once you brandish that idea, all your moral work is done. Mm. Right? Very, very tempting. That is definitely the tempting. That is definitely the temptation of a deadly slogan like from each according to his ability to each according to his need. You can destroy the world with that dead weapon. Yeah. And we, you know, (laughs) did a pretty good job of trying that. And we're not done. Apparently, yeah. So uh, this is why I think you have to be, from their lens, you have to be silenced because you force that idea to compete for validity in the realm of ideas. Mm -hmm. And if it really is ideas and that's all we have. If it doesn't compete in the realm of ideas, it will compete in the realm of flesh. Yes. Right. Everyone needs to know that. And its unwillingness to compete in the realm of ideas is a signal that it's not valid, which is why they can't, but is exactly why Biden saying, I'm not going to debate scares the life out of me because that's Mm. what you do when you can't win. Like if you know your ideas are more compelling, you step to the mic all day long. Or if you know that you should subject them to debate. So if you're wrong, you could learn. God, even Right, because maybe that's even what you want in a leader. You don't necessarily need a leader who's right because God help you. You're not going to find that, but you could at least find one who is willing to put his ideas to the test to discover where he's wrong. Mm. That's a leader. That's someone with courage. Right? That's someone willing to kill the to kill the father in a sense, to kill the tyrannical father. Because the tyrannical father is the presumption of your own dead ideas. That not psychologically speaking, that's the case. Mm. That's the giant that the hero slays in order to make the new world. Right, the dogma of the past, the dead dogma of the past. It might have even been valid at some point, but you want a leader who embodies that spirit and not necessarily the correct knowledge. Because you know, Piaget, Jean Piaget, the developmental psychologist, he knew this: is that the deepest truth is a proper formulation of the process by which truth itself is generated. Right, and that's what Piaget was trying to discover when he evaluated children. He Say knew that, that again. The deepest. I don't know if I can say that again. The deepest truth is the representation of the process by which truth itself is generated. That's the hero story. Wow. It's a process. Truth is a process. Truth is a spirit rather than a set of dead facts. Why do people run from it? Because it forces you to pick up your cross. I mean, really, obviously, obviously, like... Why do people run is the question. Well, what do they run from? Pain and malevolence. Well, why? Well, (laughs) it's obvious why. What's not obvious is how you could not do that. Well, you know, the, the entire biblical corpus is an analysis of why you shouldn't run. What would mean not to run? What it would mean if you fully ceased running? That's the story of Christ. The story of Christ is the story of a man, the man, let's say, who ceased running. That's what it that's what the story is. Can I give you an alternate take that scares me so badly and I think I'm right about this. Okay. I think Well, the, if it scares you, that's a good indication uh, that you might be right. Yeah. Uh the, the big problem here is that to pick up a cross and be willing to suffer what Jesus suffered, mm. you have to you have to have a conviction that you're right, that hell awaits on the other side of not doing that. Most people cannot think through ideas that complicated and be certain enough that they'd be willing to be torn down. Mm. Well, 
That's reflected that's to some degree. Religion. That's reflected to some degree in the structure of, especially the Catholic Church, and 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 Dostoevsky pointed to that in the Brothers Karamazov. There's a scene in the Brothers Karamazov where Christ comes back to Earth in the midst of the Spanish Inquisition, and he performs his miracles and goes about goes about his spiritual business, goes about being the process of the Word, and the Inquisitor comes and arrests him and throws him in prison. And then comes down in the middle of the night and says, look, you know, we've, we don't need you around. You're a lot of trouble. We've taken your impossible message, your impossible demands, and we recast them so that flawed people can manage. And the last thing we need is you to show back up and destroy everything we've done to make what you had to say palatable because people just can't manage it. It's too much. Mm. And Christ listens, and at the end, he kisses the inquisitor who turns white and leaves, and, but he leaves the door open when he leaves. And, and that's, that's a complicated answer to your question, but you are right in a sense that it's too much to ask, but you're wrong, <laughs> and that people turn to lesser solutions, mediated solutions, like a belief in an external Christ, let's say, that's, that's one way of thinking about it, rather than a joint belief in an internal and external Christ, which would be more comprehensive. And they turn to that instead of, of seeking out the whole adventure. The problem with that is, and this is the problem, is that you don't have a choice about your cross exactly. You only have a choice about how you will bear it, because death and, and hell are coming for you. And that's that. There's no escape from that. And so all you can choose is the manner in which you confront it. And you can do it voluntarily, wholeheartedly, in good faith, with courage, or you can do it any of the insane multiplicity of other ways that clamor for your attention. That's right. My name is Legion, right? There's a word, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So so the the Christian message fundamentally is that your best bet, all things considered, truly all things considered, is to take the whole burden on. Like wide eyes wide open. Right? That's what Abraham does, for example, when he goes on his great adventure. It's the it's a and that's what Job does. There are precursors to this idea in the Old Testament stories. It's in some ways fully revealed. That's a good way of thinking about it in the New Testament stories. So Christ's claim is that he embodies the Spirit in the Old Testament. You think that's right? I think that's the simplest explanation. And it has to do, you said already that people can allow ideas to possess them. So what idea should you allow to possess you? Mm. Well, the insistence in the Judeo-Christian tradition is that you should invite in this, the spirit of your ancestors, the unified, monotheistic, creative, loving, kind, truthful spirit of your ancestors. Something's coming in, or a multitude of things. How about a diversity of things? How about a rainbow of things, or a plurality of things? What, under some united flag? The union of diversity. I don't think so. It's no wonder that we believe in the union of diversity when we believe that a man can be a woman. 
If we believe those things, there's nothing we won't swallow. No camel too big to go down our throats. No totalitarian lie we won't rush to embody. So you asked earlier, where are we headed? Like, every single person is making up their mind about that. Well, they always have, but it's really evident at the moment. And it's going to become a lot more evident than it is. Because people are moving in the wrong direction? No, they've always done that, but not this fast. Interesting. Right? Because we're, you know, we're, 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 in, a, we're in a runaway cycle of, of transformation and... Yeah, I think we're in a positive feedback loop where social media allows simplistic ideas we're to be We're in a lot imbibed. of positive feedback loops. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I, I, the only solution I see is That's to fight the with better ideas. That's the dragon that eats its own tail, the positive feedback loop. Hmm. We interpret the Ouroboros differently. Well, uh, it's many things, you know, because it is a symbol of chaos. But one yes. of the things it is is a runaway positive feedback loop. Interesting. I see that as... Um, the what ends up happening when you don't have the right foundational model yeah, definitely. that you can't make progress because your core foundation is such that you eat your own progress yeah through sure. incompetence is the easiest way to think of it you have the wrong model that's to me what the ouroboros is about which is the whole idea that you're well, that's saying why about, it emerges when the father dies you know because it it's the wrong yeah if the if the father is a corpse the Ouroboros makes itself manifest. The Mesopotamians knew this. When, when the, okay, so the Mesopotamian gods killed their father, Apsu, and tried to live on his corpse. Well, that's what we're doing when we mouth slogans. We're trying to live on the corpse of the past. And in, instead of embodying its living spirit, they try, they slay the past. They're, they have no regard for the past, which is also what we're doing, by the way. They slay the past and attempt to inhabit its corpse, like Geppetto in The Whale. It's mm. the same idea. And Tiamat shows back up. She's the dragon of chaos. And, she, and her goal is to destroy everything. And that's one of the precursors. That idea is one of the precursors to the flood myth. And the word Tiamat is, they say, etymologically cognate with the word tohu vabohu. And that's the chaos out of which God makes order at the beginning of time. All these ideas are linked. So if you inhabit dead ideas, you will bring back chaos. Of course, the dead yes, the dead ideas can no longer they can no longer sustain you in your active contending with the present. This happens in the Lion King. What happens when Scar takes over the pride? What what happens when Scar takes over Pride Rock? Mm. Pride Rock. It's so comical. Scar takes over Pride Rock. Well, why? Well, he's scarred. That's the first thing. He's intellectually arrogant, obviously. And the whole kingdom turns into a wasteland, a dry, sterile, desert wasteland. That's always the case. It's always been the case. And, and we're seeing the archetypal outlines more clearly now because things are changing at an ever-accelerating rate. And so God only knows what does Jonathan Paggio say? Giants will walk the earth once again. They already are. What is the enlightenment? Why do we have to get to the other side of it? Or why do you think maybe we already the are? Enlightenment the enlightenment is the belief that the material world speaks for itself. And it's not true. You have to see facts through a lens of value. The postmodernists got that right. That's why we are in the culture war to some degree, is the postmodern critique was correct. We see the world through a story. And the facts now indicate that. 
I've, I've talked with Carl Friston, for example, one of the world's great neuroscientists. Many people know this now. Um, I asked Friston, is, a, is an object a micro-narrative? He said, yes. So because even we have your, to understand what to do with it. Function, you bet, you bet, you bet, you bet. You don't just see the world. You see the value of the world. And you don't, you don't see the world and infer the value. You see the value. You see the value. And, and the, the implicit structure of your unconscious is the, is the matrix of value through which the world reveals itself. And properly formulated, that matrix has a multidimensional narrative structure that's coherent, that's reflected in the structure of the biblical stories. And we know that. Well, we say, well, what's the foundational document of Western civilization? Well, obviously, it's the Bible. Like, forget the theology. Historically. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that... It means it's the seed from which your perceptual matrix grew. You're a more or less coherent echo of the biblical corpus. That's what you are. And the more you know of the stories, the hyperlinked stories, the more fully fleshed that incarnation, internal incarnation becomes. The Bible was written in consort, you might say, with the, obviously, with the function of the human nervous system, both individually and collectively. It was woven together over thousands of years and also evolved to match the structure of our memories, all of that, and the structure of our attention. So the postmodernists, when they realized that we saw the world through a story, which was a brilliant discovery and was made in many disciplines at the same time, by the way, um, they jumped to the they jumped to the next question, which was, well, if we see the world through a story, what is the story? And they said, well, it's power and it's twin sister, it's evil twin sister, hedonism, but power. They were Marxists. It's all about power. So have it your way. Play with fire. See what happens. Power. You think power is interesting too, because you might say, well, why would you want power? Like if I could just ask you to walk along with me, why wouldn't I do that? Why would I have to exercise power over you? Well, how about I want you to do something that you don't want to do? Well, what? How about something for my immediate gratification? That's why... Pajo, Jonathan Pajo, has said that the Marquis de Sade is the evil brother of the Enlightenment rational mind. It's like, absolutely. Same thing, same idea explored by Dostoevsky in, in Crime and Punishment with Raskolnikov. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> All right. So Brutal. let me say, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, that to get on the counter-enlightenment train, we could sum it up in a tongue-in-cheek way and say facts are dead. Facts are always dead. Facts are always dead. That's why you can't follow them. There's as many, there's more facts than there are things. You can't orient yourself. Imagine I drop you in the middle of a desert. It's like all the facts are at hand, man. You're still going to die. Why? Because the, the territory isn't the map. Because the land doesn't speak. How about that? How about all of that? Right. No. Can I give you my favorite example of this? Sure. 
Okay, this is true. Uh, what we think of as the entire world, everything that we can see is 0.00035% of the available electromagnetic spectrum. Right, right. Good example. So looking at you, I should see a number of photons in a given wavelength that are reflecting off of that fabric, but I don't. I see black, I see red, I see gold, whatever. You see tools and obstacles. Uh, yes, for sure. And once I understood, oh my God, I'm seeing a ridiculously gross simplification of what is really in the world, then I realized my brain is made up of algorithms. And once I realized my brain is made of algorithms and algorithms are designed to push you to see certain things, to conceive of them in a certain way, I suddenly really wanted to understand yeah, what are right. my algorithms driving me to do? And every That's idea for sure. that we- That's why Jung said every person has to figure out the myth that they're living. Whoa. Hmm. Whoa. Hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah, what like story? It. Here's two ways of thinking about it. What story are you acting out? Or what character resides in you? That's another way of thinking about it. Or what spirit have you allowed to possess you? Or what spirit have you invited in and consorted with su such that it can possess you? So when Cain is bitter, Cain from Cain and Abel, Cain is bitter because his sacrifices go unrewarded. So he's bitter because his work is not successful. And everyone should be able to identify with that. There's no difference between work and sacrifice, by the way. They're the same thing. We, when we work, we sacrifice the present to the future. Saw that so, clip from your book. Yeah, okay, okay. So now Cain's work is unsuccessful, so he gets bitter. And so, and he's jealous as well of Abel, whose sacrifices are accepted and who's thriving. And so Cain... Cain's countenance falls. He becomes depressed and anxious and nihilistic and resentful and starts to shake his fist at God. He, do, he does what Job's wife tells Job to do when Job is being tortured. Job's wife says, shake your fist at God and die. Well, Cain shakes his fist at God and kills. And so that's, that's even worse. Um, so Cain calls out God, just like bitter atheists do constantly. And for, they have their reasons and says, you know, I'm, what the hell's going on here? What kind of world did you make where I'm breaking myself in half with my labors and nothing is succeeding and everything is bitter and pointless. And God says, if you did well, you'd, you'd be accepted. And then he says something much, much worse, which you figured out already. He said, sin crouches at your door like a sexually aroused predatory animal, and you've invited it in to have its way with you. That's dark. Right. Well, it's terrible. It's terrible. And there's echoes of this in other mythological stories. Uh, so what it means is that Cain is suffering, and there's, there's nothing sinful in that as such, right? Because the innocent can suffer. Cain suffers, and then he turns in the direction of temptation. He starts to nurse his resentment. That's another biological metaphor to nurse your resentment. He starts to brood over his resentment, right? And so what that means is that spirit of arrogant resentment takes, he invites it in, it takes up residence within him, but then he engages in a creative, he engages in a creative dialogue with that spirit. It's, it's not merely possession, it's, it's joint, cons it's conspiracy. It's conspiracy between the eternal spirit of darkness, that's a good way of thinking about it, and the, a living human soul, 
that's what happens when you get resentful. Man, when I hear you talk, this is uh, this is exactly what it feels like to me. Um, J.K. Rowling, the first Harry Potter book mm. is really simple. And by the last one, it's heavy. And mm -hmm. she was clearly maturing the writing and the story with the people reading it. Mm -hmm. When I look at we who, yes, when I look at we who wrestle with God as the more mature next step in the 12 rules of life, mm. uh, it's sort story, of a return to maps of meaning. Interesting. Hopefully so you don't be. feel that it's the successor to 12 rules of life. It is in the way that you just described. Because I, think I suppose it's a hybrid. See, maps of meaning was so difficult. It's, it, it took me 30 years to unpack it to the point where I could make it straightforwardly comprehensible, especially in writing, but even in, in lecturing, right? I, I unpacked it really over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then I got good enough at that so I could write a book that was accessible. And then this book is, I hope it retains its accessibility, but it's, it's a hydrogen bomb, this book, really. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. I mean, look, I haven't read it yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna plant a flag here and say this is how I think your books go. Uh, Maps of Meaning, which is how I found you, um, helped me understand why. Why were you motivated to plow through that? Because I'm a filmmaker at mm. my oh, yes. oh, core. Yes. So the story uh, part. Yes. And so I took away from that. This is why these structures, these characters, these relationships, this is why they resonate with the human animal. Yes, right, right. 12 rules, 
for life were, hey, I see you suffering. I see nobody's talking to you. Let me give you some simple rules that will really help you out. Mm -hmm. Then you go on your own cross-carrying journey, coma, illness, crazy town, and you come back with the Deathly Hallows version of, now I'm gonna give you these, the mythology, and I'm gonna tell you exactly what you wrestle with to learn what spirit not only lives inside you currently, what spirit should live inside of you. All of the human experience has already been thought through. I can't give it to you in a bunch of simple packages of the rules for life because those will become dead wood fast. I've got to get you into the thing. There's a reason you titled this book, We Who Wrestle With God and not What You Can Learn From God. That, that would have been a title more people would have understood. But there's obviously something to this idea of wrestling with living ideas, making it personal, figuring out what your relationship is with this stuff. When, 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 when Jacob is wrestling with God, that's worship. That's, that's true worship. That's why he, he's awarded the name Israel. He's the leader of the chosen people because he wrestles with God. So... That's uh, manna for the suffering because it means that if you're genuinely suffering, then you're, God's there in your grasp, right there with you. That's a good way of thinking about it. In the wrestling. Um, Socrates was a wrestler. Literally. Mm. Right? And he was, he was a very powerfully built person. He wrestled before he was a philosopher. It's the same thing. And everyone, thing is about the chosen people of Israel, everyone wrestles with God. Now the question is, you know, in what spirit should you wrestle with God? And I would say, um, remember who you're wrestling with. That's what Job, that's what God tells Job when he reminds him that, you know, God was there at the beginning of the time, beginning of time. Um, defeating Leviathan, fashioning the world. Remember who you're wrestling with. Have a little humility. Or a lot. Plenty. Enough to strip you of your dead wood. Right. And if you're all dead wood, then the fire of God looks like hell. Can I get you to read something that you said? These are your words, uh -oh. verbatim. This is from your ARC speech. Mm. This was when I felt like, okay, I actually really understand what he's doing now. Uh, it starts there with the muscle emojis uh, and just goes you to the bottom. You want me to read it out loud? Yeah, I think it's better in your voice because this, this, for everybody listening, this is part of the speech he gave at the ARC conference. We're so foolish. We regard those propositions, religious propositions, as something approximating primitive superstitions, when in fact they're the most brilliant intuitions into the fundamental structure of reality that have ever been offered. We predicated our civilization on those presuppositions. And look at it. It's not so bad. We've brought wealth and plenty to billions of people around the world. We've been struggling uphill properly. And if we were wise and faithful and courageous and responsible, we could continue to spread that to everyone. We could eradicate absolute poverty. We could bring about a time of abundance and opportunity for everyone. And we'll do that. We can do that if we hoist the world on our individual shoulders and operate collectively in this harmonious manner and continue the struggle uphill 
toward the city of God. And that's the truth. It's the truth. It's not some superstition. It's not some primitive defense against death anxiety. It's not the opiate of the people. It's the call to divine responsibility. And to the degree that each of us acted it out in the confines of our own life, we do what I suggested at the beginning of this conference, which is tilt the world toward heaven and away from hell. Yeah, that's... that's All right. That's, Amazing. It hit me very hard when I first heard it. I don't believe in God. Hmm? How do I come to what does Pajot say about this that useful? when people say that? He says, I don't believe in the same God you don't believe in. <laughs> do you think are you struggling to find your way? Yes. Is it an honest struggle? Yes. That's the belief. It's not a statement. <laughs> Religious belief is not a statement about facts. It's not a scientific theory. This is why the Enlightenment is, is done. That, that was wrong. That isn't what it is. It's a struggle. It's, it's the moral struggle. Or you could say, maybe more clearly, see, you say you don't believe, but what you mean is you can't reconcile your conceptions with your intuitions, really. And that is the modern predicament. Because you do you believe that what happened in Auschwitz was wrong? Yes. Okay, well then, you know, you've established one pole of the, of the belief in divinity. You've just established the malevolent pole. And that means the benevolent pole is ill-conceptualized, still implicit. That's it, still implicit. That's what God is. That's what God is in, in the belly of the whale, is implicit still, implicit. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Called or not called, God is there. That was Carl Jung the carving over his, the castle he built with his own two hands. It's there. You just don't know it. But you know to some degree because you're struggling and you're struggling away from Auschwitz, let's say. That's good. You, great. You know, the person running away from hell is also running towards heaven. Now, maybe your pathway would be a little straighter if you knew a little bit more about heaven, but away is something. Out of hell is something. Out of hell towards what? There's the next question, I suppose. Out of hell towards what? Towards what? Toward, toward a, neutral, a neutral normality? Or, or upward, away from hell, up Jacob's ladder towards the highest possible heights. That's the dwelling place of the eternally uniting spirit. That's a good way of thinking about it. That's Jacob's ladder. And where does it end? I don't know if it does end. It, it disappears into the heights. And what's at the top? Something that recedes when you approach it. I come at everything from a very materialist mm -hmm. standpoint. Mm -hmm. Not uh, everything. I think everything. Not the evil. Not your realization of the reality of evil. Oh, to me, that there's no incongruence there. That that's just a I, nature. I didn't of say biology. there was necessarily an incongruence. Um, interesting. So for me, that's the same. I come at that. Just humans are algorithms, and you have algorithms that could lead you to evil. I get why, in certain circumstances, in a truly amoral universe. Where, humans are the creators of algorithms as well. Yeah, sort of. 
there's look yeah bi- sort of that's right biology sort of. is uh is at play but females select who they sleep with and that has huge implications we all get to invite ideas into our world so for sure um well there's an order it's like i think one of the ways of thinking about good thinking about it is that it's the same as the dynamic between musical knowledge and musical production in composers like the composers are adhering to a set of guidelines you would say they're 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 operating in accordance with a certain order but they can produce an endless literally endless proliferation of forms and human beings are both of those things they're they're the order that gives rise to gives rise to what is new and alive but they're also the thing that is alive they're both at the same time that's the hero in 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 relationship to the the father of the king that's osiris in relationship to Horus, or that's Horus, sorry, Horus, the Egyptian god in relationship to Osiris. We're both. That's partly why there's a Trinitarian view in Christianity. So, because there's a, there's a, the father is like a structure. That's a way of thinking about it. And the son is, the son is the incarnation of that structure. And the spirit is the intermediary between the two. It's something like that. I'm trying to get people to understand that they're having a biological experience because I want them to be able to predict the outcome of their actions by understanding the nature of their mind and the minds of the people they're interacting with. I have a feeling you're doing exactly the same thing through a different form of encapsulated wisdom, that wisdom being the biblical corpus. Mm -hmm. How right does that feel? Well, the monotheistic hypothesis is that everything meets. So I don't have any problem with the evolutionary biologists, for example. Well, once we sort out our theological presuppositions and our biological presuppositions, they'll be the same thing. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. You can see that. That that convergence is already happening. Mm. That's already happening in many, many ways. There's, There's a tremendous concordance, I would say, between the ethos that's laid out in the biblical writings and uh, the, uh, what would you say, the analysis of reciprocal altruism. So, and you know, Brett Weinstein is moving rapidly down that road, for example, in his conceptualization of the spirit that organizes human individuals and, and societies. So, Do you think what they're discovering is that the narrative structure and the just time-tested way that these stories have been passed on uh, into our generation um, prove that that's just the best encapsulation of that wisdom in a way that people can use yeah, in their yeah. own lives. Yeah, well, sure, sure. You could you could almost think about that as by definition. I mean, the stories in the biblical corpus are the ones that burn themselves into our imagination and memories. Well, why? Well, because they have a concordance with that structure. The stories, this is where Dawkins would have gone with the idea of meme if he would have pushed it eventually. The memes that best match themselves to the structure of our psyche are the ones we conserved. Yes. Obviously. How could it possibly be any different? How could it possibly be any different than that? Obviously, that's the case. That obviously assumes a base assumption that you will react the most strongly to the things that are most true. If you don't right. have that base assumption, you won't. That won't be obvious to you. You'd be like, "It's not real, therefore it's bullshit," and you will completely well, discredit well, the emotional well, yeah, response. Well, yes, yes, I said. Because yes. if you take a Sam Harris or you Richard can do Dawkins, that when you're confused conceptually, though, too, and that can block your vision. 
So, and, and that's, what's, that's part of what happened as a consequence of the Enlightenment. We, we didn't understand what we were doing and we didn't understand the relationship between what we were doing and the world of facts. But it was super useful, man. What? The yes. Enlightenment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why That's did it way. break down? Why does it fall apart? Because the world of facts doesn't speak, because the empirical hypothesis is wrong. Will you give me that it's like Newtonian physics versus Einsteinian physics, where it's so close, it gets you so far, but then ultimately it falls down and you realize there's a whole universe to be unlocked. There's, there's, an, there's a reasonable analogy there. The, the problem is it's like the fall of the science idea is that science isn't an animating spirit. It's not a guide. Hmm. And so you, the, the world of facts, see the empirical hypothesis is that we derive all our information from facts. It's, it's not, it's just not the case. That's not I'm going to change that word for you, and I think it will help you get to what people are trying mm -hmm. to say. It's utility. That's, yeah, it's utility. That's value. Who cares about facts? It's mm. utility. What yeah. I'm trying to get people that's to understand is- That's what the American is, pragmatists figured out in the yes. late 1800s. Yes, so, that's But right. you were saying people look at the world and they see, they don't see a water bottle. They see, I can quench my thirst. They see mm. the utility. So someone, mm. I'm putting words in their mouth and I don't know them well enough. But like, if I were to sit down with Sam or Dawkins, I have a feeling where, where they buck is, I don't need the encapsulation of wisdom in this story that I've seen kill millions of people throughout history yeah, when that, people even disagree. That, even that's, that's, that's a very, see, both Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins identify the totalitarian spirit with the religious spirit. And that's a failure of discrimination on their part. They're not the same thing. The religious spirit can be perverted by the totalitarian spirit, but that doesn't make it identical to it. That's exactly what the postmodernists claim when they talk about the, it's exactly the same claim that the postmodernists are making about systemic racism, is that the system itself is nothing but an embodiment of oppressive power. It's exactly what Harris and Dawkins say about the religious domain. It's precisely the same claim, and it's not true. It's not true. When religious ideation is perverted, it perverts in the direction of power. But the truly religious have known that forever. I mean, Christ himself is crucified by the people who use the religious enterprise as a means to power. That's the Pharisees. This, is, this isn't new. So, now, can, can the religious enterprise be perverted by those in power? Well, obviously— the most effective psychopaths use what is highest to serve what is lowest. But they will also smuggle things into the works that were convenient and useful at the time to justify conquest, whatever. Oh, sure. And then that stays in the adherence of that philosophy, that religion, then do some pretty horrible shit. Like it's easy to understand where Sam is coming from, especially with Islam, when somebody does a thing that we consider pretty heinous and they point to the book and say, I did it because it says to do this in that, then yes, well, now it requires, you've got- It requires particularly careful separation of the wheat from the chaff to get those things straight. Yeah. And is this why you say we wrestle with God? We're not just taking every word of the Bible uh, on its face. We are pulling from you it. You can't. You can't take every word on its face. It's not even technically possible because the meaning of each word is dependent on, well, the word, obviously, but the history of the word, and then the history of the word insofar as you've encountered it, and then the word in that phrase, and then the phrase in that sentence, and then the sentence in its paragraph, and then... 
all of the relationships between all of those levels and all the other sentences and paragraphs in the whole book. Like, it's not like you can point to the facts in the Bible. I mean, that just doesn't work because the Bible's actually the structure through which the reason it doesn't work is because the biblical corpus is a representation of the structure through which facts are interpreted. It's not the facts themselves. It's a deeper form of truth. It's a deeper form of truth. Okay, well, well, well it's let the me say truth something. through which truth is seen. Okay, yeah. um, I think what I hear you saying is uh, you need the narrative because the narrative forces a hierarchical structure to the facts that are being discussed. And without that, Perceived even. It, it gives you a, a framework with which to order the facts that you're trying to deal with so That's that right. you don't have to reinvent that uh, sequencing of hierarchical alone. Um, facts right? alone by yourself. Right? Well, it also time. gives you protection against the false consensus of the group. Whoa, say that again. Well, look, people might say, <clears throat> they, they might say, well, our knowledge is only a social construct, and then maybe they mean truth by consensus. Mm -hmm. You know, so let's assume that there's a world of facts that you can orient yourself in. We'll just leave that as an assumption for now. And then we'll say, well, people come to truth by consensus. It's okay. Well, what, what if the consensus is the Nazi consensus? Well, then either that's a transgression against a more fundamental truth, or it's just a variant of an infinite number of equally valid consensual truths. Well, you can go down that morally relativistic pit if you want, but that's a form of hell because eventually the logical culmination of that mode of thinking is that there's no value distinction between things, in which case you can't even move forward because you only move forward towards something better. Mm. And so it just leaves you bereft. Now, the alternative is to say, well, there is a central core of hierarchical truth and that to some great degree that's embedded in tradition, in which case we can use tradition as the staff, the the, the flagpole, let's say, like Moses' staff, which is exactly what Moses' staff represents, by the way, that's the tradition around which even our consensus must revolve, right? And that's the conservative insistence. That's one way of thinking about it, is that there's a vertical axis of orientation upward towards God, mediated by tradition, and there's a horizontal axis that it's that's part of the ongoing conversation and consensus of the moment. But you got to ask yourself, and you already have asked this question. It's the question Solzhenitsyn posed. If everyone has gone insane, if everyone's possessed by the lie, well, first of all, to make that claim is, is also to make the assumption that there's some truth that's now being ignored. But then on what grounds does the man who is honest stand? Because it's obviously not on the grounds of consensus, because the consensus is the lie. That's the nature of a totalitarian state, right? When the consensus becomes the lie, you're in a totalitarian state. And that it, obviously it implies, indicates more directly that there's a truth. There's a truth outside of that. Now, the truth is a process rather than a statement of facts or even a statement of faith. You know, and partly because, partly because of, the, of the mode of enlightenment thinking, we think, even Christians think, and probably especially Protestants, not that I'm singling out the Protestants because that wouldn't be fair, that, you know, to believe in Jesus is to say a set of facts and then say you believe them like they're a scientific theory. Well, you're missing the point. 
which is what the Orthodox Christians have been trying to tell the Protestants for a very long time. And the Protestants know this to some degree. The point is the imitation of Christ. That's the ultimate expression of faith. It's not proclam. It can also be proclamation of a set of beliefs, but that's not what it is fundamentally. When you say faith, what do you mean? Faith that it will work? Faith is what you bet your life on. Uh-huh. But I that's a definition. I well, worry and, that a lot of people bet their life on that this is really true because then they can just spout the yeah, bumper well, stickers fine. and they can shut the argument they're down. Also, they're, you're not just betting their life, they're betting their soul, right? That's worse. Hmm. That, that, life, that, that <clears throat> disappears with death. You know, Let me play with an idea here really fast. Is it possible that part of what makes religion so useful is that even if you are uh, trying to treat it like a dead bumper sticker slogan, uh, that the wisdom that it encapsulates is so useful that even if you were just blindly doing it because God told you to do, that yeah. your life will be better than if you were to yeah. um, not. Not. Well, yes, yes. And I would also say that even if you don't think so, your belief structure is permeated by the implicit beliefs. Dawkins believes in the truth. He believes in the redeeming power of the truth. Mm -hmm. He believes in the redeeming power of the communicated truth. Yeah. Well, there's no difference between that and worshiping the word, the divine word. It's the same thing. It, and it, if that wasn't the case, the scientific enterprise wouldn't have emerged out of the Christian ethos. Dawkins, though he doesn't know it, is mostly a Christian, and so is Harris. Now, Harris has drifted off into meditative space because he had to find a God that was so ineffable that his rational intellect could not tear it down. So that was Sam's solution. But the question is, why would he worry about his rational intellect tearing it down? It's only because I think, well, and this is, this is one of the things I'm dealing with, which is if you ask me to believe that it is scientifically true, that everything in the Bible is literally correct, I'm done. Tapped out, finished, no way. Uh, a level of absurdity that I, I just can't even entertain. Like I, I couldn't look myself in the eye and be like, yeah, I actually believe it. Whereas if you say to me, hey, this is the ultimate encapsulation of wisdom. So if tradition is experiments that worked, I forget who said that, mm -hmm. but I think that's a right, lovely yeah, way to yeah, think it of is, it. That's a good one. Uh, if that's true, and this story is, has encapsulated these in a way that the human mind can absorb through the narrative, and that this has just withstood the test of time, that if you blindly believe this and act in accordance, your life will actually be made better. You could say the Exodus description is a very accurate description of what actually happened, but all the people who were there at the time were blinded by the facts. Blinded by the facts. Why do you say blinded by the facts? Well, how much, you already said, for example, that when you look, you use some trifling percentage of the available electromagnetic spectrum. Hmm. Well, when you are anywhere doing anything, what fraction of what's going on in reality do you perceive? Well, I would say the biblical accounts of what happened are more accurate than the accounts of the people who would have, than the accounts we would have generated had we been there. There, the, there, are, there are a glimpse behind the scenes. That's another way of thinking about it.